This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Hello, and welcome back to the Passive Real Estate Podcast. I'm Matt Jones, and today I want to talk to you about a book that I read in regards to real estate investing. And there are a lot of books out there, and I've read many of them, but uh, one of them really sticks out. It talks about the basics of real estate investing, uh, You know, a thing that you really have to uh, get a good grasp on to really expand and, and become an effective passive investor. So even if you're only passive investing, it's still important to know what it takes to you know succeed actively because when you're investing with somebody else you got to know like hey do they know what they're doing it was <laughs> my money being well used uh, to get a return on my investment so the book that i'm referencing was by ken McElroy. it's called the abcs of real estate investing the secrets of finding hidden profits most investors miss and essentially if you want to be a successful real estate investor you got to seek out insight from other successful real estate investors you know, uh, such as Ken, because he owns a large uh, property management company and he has developed commercial properties that are worth many millions. And whether you're new to real estate investing or you're looking to up your game, uh, Ken McElroy's experience and insight could help you uh, to get on the right path towards success. So uh, essentially, I'm, I'm uh, going to give you kind of a summary of the, of the key points of the book, but I highly recommend that you go out and get the original book yourself. Okay, so uh, first uh, I'll cover a few real estate myths uh, because some real estate investors, it seems like they have all the luck. You know, they're the ones on social media showing off their uh, you know investments that they've been getting and, and their profits. However, uh, with real estate investing, luck, you know, while it does play a factor in success, you know, it, it's not the the key sort of thing. So, like Ken, for example, he started working the grind of property management over 20 years ago to learn how to achieve financial freedom. He made many mistakes in his learning process along the way, but he found that through hard work and determination, he was able to overcome his challenges and take advantage of the opportunities that came his way. With a little common sense and good focus, you too can make other people think that you are one of those people who is lucky with real estate. And if you think you already have to be rich to start investing in real estate, well, then you're in for a nice surprise. Because if you're going to find good deals and network with other investors willing to invest with you, you can buy properties with even none of your own money. When you work together with other investors, Essentially, you can obtain real estate that you could never have purchased on your own. So commuting with uh, or communicating with those people and treating them well will result in having many people wanting to invest with you as well. So uh, some people believe that having to start with uh, small deals because there's just too much risk with the larger properties. But at the same time, I would say a 50-unit property or a 100-unit property could even be safer for you to buy than a single-family house or a duplex. And that's because the loan for a single-family house or a duplex is secured by your personal finances, whereas the loan for an apartment building is secured by itself and how well that deal functions. So furthermore, you can have more control over the profits with a larger property than you can with a smaller one. You know, many people also see flipping and like those no money down deals as the main path to success. And while you can make good money flipping, it takes a lot of work and comes with added risk. Uh, if you buy a property with no money down, it means that you're likely going to have higher mortgage payments and uh, bigger interest rates. And if you're not skilled at business or negotiation, you don't know anything about real estate and you don't know anyone in the real estate business, you can still invest in real estate. 
you will gain the skills, knowledge, and network over time just by working on your real estate business. And don't allow fear to keep you from getting started. It's okay to be afraid as long as you're willing to take action. So uh, you know, one thing to keep in mind is, is what is your goal? Setting a goal with your is your first task with real estate investing. What is it you want to achieve through real estate? It should be uh, you know a smart goal, you know S M A R T, which stands for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Perhaps you want to become your own boss within a year, or you know buy two properties per year for the next ten years, or earn you know five or ten thousand per month within the next uh, few years. If your goal is too vague, then you won't know whether or not you've achieved it. If your goal is too far out of reach or unrealistic or doesn't have a deadline, then you may never be able to achieve it. One goal setting uh, program is called Strategic Coach. It helps you create a life uh, plan by following certain rules. And these things are uh, things like making your future better than the past and uh, your gratitude bigger than your level of success. Another great program is called Setting Family Goals which helps you find the right balance between marriage, family, and your business. So it's good to have an you know, accountability partner who will help you stay focused on your goal, write down your goal, and tell it to everyone. Break it down into smaller milestones so that you know you are making progress. Because uh, you may need to change your daily behaviors to align them with your goal or goals. And be ready to do whatever it takes to stay focused and persevere to achieve your goal. Your goal may change over time, which is certainly okay. And uh, like I mentioned before, to truly succeed in real estate, you cannot do it on your own. You know, my personal biggest mistake when starting was thinking that I could. So you need a team, plain and simple. A team of experts can help you make better decisions, avoid costly mistakes, find uh, more and better opportunities, make more money, and achieve your goals faster than you could have ever done by yourself. The team you build will be the basis for your future success and network. So join a real estate club or you know to network with other people as they are a great place to meet uh, prospective team members and find good investment opportunities. Your team needs to at least include an attorney, an accountant, real estate broker, and a property management company. So your attorney and accountant will help you set up things correctly and legally to protect you and your assets. Your broker and property manager will help you find great deals. And your property manager will also help you, um, you know, make your, prof- or your properties profitable. And among others, you'll also need a good mortgage broker to lend you money, investors to help you buy deals, contractors to inspect and repair your properties, and insurance agent to keep you protected. So whether that's you doing that or you're investing with somebody else, they, you know, somebody here needs to have a good team with all these, these parts. And you may or may not choose to include family members on your team. I would say this is a personal preference as there are both good and bad aspects of going into business with family. The same can be said about whether or not you have partners. Good partners communicate with each other, share the same values and vision, hold each other accountable, uh, and w- keep networking until you find you know both good team members as well as good partners. So um, there are many ways to find properties that you want to buy. Those properties and the information about them you know um, are available in many places on the internet. So you just need an effective research strategy, which could be actually fun. Uh, this comes down or this comes down to using the available resources that you have at hand to get an insight into the area. You can do do this by you know talking with people touring a neighborhood, looking online, and just traveling around. 
This could mean even taking a, a tax deductible vacation to an area where you wanna buy properties. So your research to find deals is done on three levels, okay? So the first level is preliminary work that can be done in your home. This is where you can choose some cities where you uh, might wanna invest and research on them. Examine things like the population growth, the supply of rental properties, public transit access, unemployment, and job diversity. Okay, so the second level is best done by going to one or more of these cities to network with who will become part of your own local team there. You need boots on the ground. So choose team members who can confirm whether uh, your first level findings were accurate and help you narrow down your search to a smaller submarket. Now, level number three is where you take a deeper dive and analyzing any potential submarkets in depth. You know, look for things like railroad tracks and and uh, interstates because, like, a, a good deal on one side of the um, interstate or river or whatever, uh, you know, may be completely different than on the other side. Now, if you don't research a property and its market before you buy, well, you might get tricked into buying swampland. The market and submarket you choose will matter more than a specific property. Going with your gut instinct on your real estate choices is not the best way to go. Instead, rely on the numbers and accurate data to make your business decisions. Uh, real estate is data-driven, unlike it has ever been in the past. So choose a market where there's a high demand for real estate and a low supply, supply and demand. There you go. Uh, you can tell if a market has high demand uh, if occupancy rates are high and the number of move-in specials is low. Also consider how many new units are being built uh, since they will soon impact the supply. Other indicators for a growing demand include um, you know, increasing number of jobs, population growth, as well as the location. And when a market has an attractive persona to it, you know, such as uh, Venice Beach, California, more people will be attracted to living there, and such personas create a boom for real estate investing. So look to see if there are any new roads, stadiums, casinos, military bases, or colleges, as they will drive population growth. The available jobs should be diverse. If the main employer or industry in a market goes belly up, then so will demand for real estate, You know, like we saw in 08 uh, with uh, Detroit. So the location of a market and a specific location of a property within that market are both quite important because you are better off buying properties that are easily visible with main roads. Uh, they should be in an area that is attractive to people. So narrow down your focus to a specific submarket that has as many of the above qualities as possible. Become an expert in your chosen submarkets and stay up to date since markets are always changing, always. Okay, uh, so when it comes to finding a property, think of it as you would approach online dating. Uh, you sit through or you sift through online profiles until you find one that interests you. And check out the property's profile and pictures. Ask any mutual acquaintances, like you know, what I mean by that is property managers and brokers, about their thoughts on the property. Uh, you should personally see the property and its surrounding area. Or you know, if you're investing with somebody, they need to go out there and, and make sure it's uh, up to snuff. Spend some time and money to get to know the property better. And if everything works out, you uh, get into a serious relationship with that property by buying it. However, you don't necessarily need to buy the most beautiful property on the market. If you research a property and decide you want it, then it's time to contact the owner. It's not difficult to find their contact information on the internet through tax records, or maybe contact the broker that's listing it. 
uh, gauge whether the owner would be willing to talk about selling their property if you talk to them, and ask for things like the rent rule, operating expenses, and occupancy rate so you can determine how much uh, you can offer based on those numbers. If they are hesitant to give you this data, say that you can at least give them a risk-free idea of the worth of their property. And if they're not interested, ask if you can stay in touch with them in case anything changes. So in Ken's book, The ABCs of Real Estate, he gives you a script actually to follow on how to talk with owners about selling their property to you. So again, that's actually a really good reason to buy uh, Ken's book or you know, get it from the library. I don't know, whatever. Um, but essentially, you will get information about the property from the owner and or listing, or listing broker. They may have their own numbers to put into a document called the pro forma. So trust, but verify the accuracy of this data. You don't want to discover any costly details after your purchase is complete. It may even be worth your while to have someone, such as a broker, go through the property listings for you to narrow it down to the ones that match your investment criteria. So Ken, uh, he has a, a broker looks for properties that fit specific criteria. And for him, these include things like a, a minimum number of units, good visibility for major roads, uh, located in, in uh, specific submarkets that he likes, and are owned by people who are motivated to sell. So you can use a real estate broker to help you find properties. You can find good deals that are listed for sale, as well as uh, great off-market deals. After all, everything is for sale at the right price. The majority of properties you will try to buy will not go through. So it's, it's a numbers game uh, to first find properties that match your investment criteria and might be a good deal. Then you would find the owners who are willing to sell for a good price. Finally, you need to make sure everything is good in good order for the sale. If you find a diamond in the rough with lots of potential, you can do quite well with it. However, you need to verify that such a diamond is not actually a cubic zirconium. The numbers will tell you the truth about a property. 95% of the time, Ken makes offers on properties without personally visiting them. You know, his offers are solely based on the numbers and have a local team member tour the property. Uh, so he doesn't have to do that himself. However, he always inspects every unit in a property before the sale is finalized because you don't want any surprises uh, that you walk into after the deal is done. So don't worry about a, a seller's asking price because the numbers will tell you what you can actually offer for it. So there are five steps to use the numbers to determine a property's value. And you want to do these as fast as possible so you can get the property tied up to prevent another potential buyer from snatching it away from you. So these five steps, number one, verify the income of the property as the seller's performer may not tell you the whole story. Find out if the actual income from the previous trailing 12 months or uh, T12 and not just uh, what the seller is projecting the future income will be. Look at the list of the types and numbers of units, scheduled rent, actual rent collection, vacancy rates, turnover rates, and other income such as parking fees, or, or uh, you know, sometimes there's like trash fees that you can take for uh, picking up trash from people's doors. Anyway, um, uh, income verification is especially true with commercial properties because their value is based on their cash flow. All right, step number two verify the property's expenses. It's worth paying a property management company to help you determine 
what the expenses will be. The expenses include mortgage payments, insurance, taxes, repairs, maintenance, utilities, property management, and advertising, among uh, lots of other things. So step number three, calculate your net operating income, or NOI, as it's usually called, by taking the total income minus the expenses. However, keep in mind for this calculation, mortgage costs are not included with the expenses in the NOI calculation. Step number four, calculate the capitalization or uh, cap rate and the property's value. The cap rate is found by taking the NOI divided by the purchase price. A local real estate broker can tell you what the going cap rate is for a type of property in that specific submarket. And so then you take that NOI divided by the cap rate to determine what your maximum offering price can be. Step number five, calculate what your loan payment and your cash on cash returns will be. You can find out what your loan payment will be if you know what the sales price will be. You'll also need to know your interest rate and down payment that you'll need to get that loan. Either an online mortgage calculator or a mortgage broker can help you with that. I have a mortgage calculator on my phone. And then uh, minus your loan payment from your NOI, and now you know what your projected profits are. The annual profits divided by your down payment will equal the cash on cash. All right, next up, I'll talk about making an offer because once you have the numbers ready to make your case, you can now make your offer based on those. If your seller's pro forma overestimates the worth of the property, which is common, uh, show them the facts and the numbers that you came up with. This will help them understand that you're offering a fair price. Start by sending the offer a, or the seller a letter of intent or LOI, which is a proposal to purchase the property. It should include the purchase price, down payment amount, time required for due diligence, escrow amount, and uh, financing contingencies if there are any. You can find sample LOIs and other forms. Go to Ken's website. Uh, so it's www.kenmcelroy.com, spelled K-E-N-M-C-E-L-R-O-Y.com. Uh, the seller may might um, ask or like accept your LOI, or they might make a counteroffer. So you may need to go back and forth until an agreement is made. So it's possible that the numbers aren't right, or you and the seller can't come to an agreement on the price. In that case, it's perfectly fine to just walk away from the deal. If you and the seller both sign a final LOI, then the property is off the market and under contract. You'll need to go uh, get a purchase and sales agreement uh, signed and it covers those various details of the transaction to make it all official. And you will need contingencies put into the contract which allow you to back out of the deal if certain things end up going wrong. For example, a loan contingency allows you to back out if you don't get the loan you need. A due diligence con uh, contingency requires that you re uh, receive the documents and information to verify the numbers for your LOI are correct. All right, so when it comes to the due diligence, that is when you examine a property in depth with meticulous attention and effort to see if your previous quicker assessment was accurate. Examine every document about the property so you know it can follow your business plan, inspect every single unit so you have a full understanding of the property's condition and its tenant base. You're looking to see how you can add value to the property by fixing it up and or reducing expenses. When Ken does his due diligence, he has uh, discovered various problems. Those include drug dealers, squatters, 
units in terrible shape, holes in the roof, and falsified rent rolls where units were vacant even though they were supposed to be rented. He even found a boa constrictor on the loose. Poor due diligence puts you in danger of finding your own nasty surprises. Depending upon the property, the length of time for due diligence is usually between 10 to 30 days, maybe even uh, sometimes up to 90. Uh, use that time effectively. Audit the books and files to do things like compare every lease to the actual tenants and income. Review the public records to find any issues with zoning, fire code violations, building permits, or environmental concerns such as asbestos. Look over any service agreements for parking, alarm systems, landscaping, etc. Have a professional inspection done so you have an idea of when things like the roof or HVAC will need to be replaced. Ken looks at due diligence as an Easter egg hunt. He's looking for the secrets about the property. Finding those has saved him many thousands of dollars. If you find issues with the property or its finances during that due diligence period, you can do two things. Number one, you can walk away or renegotiate things if you have uh, the proper language in your sales contract. Tactfully presenting your final or findings to the seller if you believe any changes to the sale need to occur, such as lowering the purchase price. If you don't find any surprises during the due diligence, then you can at least rest easy knowing that everything was as you expected. Now, next up is putting it all together. So consider how you're going to operate your real estate business for that property. Make a plan with your team, especially your accountant, property manager, insurance agent, and contractors. Their insight will help you maximize your profits, prevent costly mistakes, and achieve your goals faster than you could on your own. A good plan focuses on increasing income while decreasing expenses. Both will improve profitability and value of a property. Um, adding value to a property can make you a ton of money. You'll need to figure out how you can increase property value. There are some ways to do that. Can you upgrade the inside or outside to get higher rents? Is there an old tennis court that can be converted to garages or a dog park? Are there systems you can put in place to improve the property's efficiency? Can you get bids on things like insurance and landscaping to get a better value? Can you reduce utility costs by installing energy-efficient light bulbs or low-flow toilets? Can you hire an on-site property manager for less than an outsourced one? Use your creative mind to find solutions to the property's problems. Fixing those problems will, in turn, increase the property's value. Increasing income and decreasing expenses will have a profound impact on the worth of your property. If, between these two, you increase the NOI by let's say $10,000 per year with a 5% cap rate, then your property will be worth $200,000 more. A solid business plan is necessary to make this happen. The rents you collect will be the main part of the property's income. The potential income is what a property would make if every unit was rented. You can also make money from things like parking fees, laundry fees, late fees, and uh, charging utilities uh, to tenants, uh, which is called RUBS. So, or like ratio utility billing system. So those are various expenses for which you should have a plan. These include uh, things like payroll for any staff, admin costs for uh, like an attorney or accountant, marketing costs, taxes, insurance, utilities, capital repairs to replace things like roofs or upgrade uh, units, as well as property management. So uh, when it comes to property management, it is a make or break factor for your real estate. 
if you buy a property right, but manage it poorly, then you could lose your shirt on the deal. The key action here is to follow through on your business plan while staying on budget. There are various property management software programs that can help you with the entire process. And you might choose to manage the property yourself, which I personally don't recommend, or oversee a property manager you hired, or better yet, have an asset manager on your behalf who will oversee the property manager for you. So your hands are completely off. Now, regardless of whatever angle you approach or you choose, you're going to need to know what it takes to uh, properly manage a property. A good property manager's job is to solve the daily problems, oversee any staff, handle the maintenance, advertise open units, or attract good tenants, uh, lease out those units, screen potential tenants, provide 24-7 customer service to tenants and treat them properly, uh, collect rents, increase the cash flow and, and ensure that the laws are followed, pay the bills, manage the budget, and evict tenants for non-payment of rent or lease violations. If you decide to hire a property management company, know that they vary in quality. Some might overcharge you, not have enough experience, have insufficient policies and procedures, fail to properly train their employees, uh, be unlicensed, and decide not to perform background checks on their employees and or tenants. Screen potential property management companies and check their references. You need to set up your expectations from the beginning, which should be realistic. Treat your property manager with respect and they should do so in return. However, you may sometimes have to fire your property management company. The reasons for this include, you know, if the property is performing poorer than expected, if operations are not improving, or if the property is performing so extremely well that you think you can manage it effectively yourself. However, again, I don't recommend that. There is going to be a domino effect when some, uh, like a bad property management decisions, they can lead to bigger and bigger problems. So if you don't do background checks on tenants, for example, then you can attract the wrong crowd. Drug dealers or, or sex offenders could move in and, and make uh, good tenants decide to move uh, out. Your tenants are your customers. So be responsive to their needs to keep them happy. Be very thoughtful before you allow tenant exceptions from you know following the rules. For example, do not leave or waive late fees because they can lead to tenants being late with rent more often. So you should not be lenient with them, uh, but you should you should be firm but fair essentially, and have enough reserve money to cover those unexpected repairs that will inevitably occur. Now you should have an exit plan with your uh, property hold. You know, while Ken McElroy he likes to buy and hold properties for cash flow, many people like to sell after they fix up. So this way, they can either keep the money or buy a new property. If you decide to sell a property, then you'll want to sell it for the highest price with the best terms. So prepare for this as part of your business plan. Maximize an, uh, your income and minimize your expenses so that you have a high NOI, net operating income, and therefore a high property value. Your actual NOI will help you calculate the wholesale price whereas your potential income and NOI will determine the retail price. So you're better off with having high rents with some vacancy than to have low rents and 100% vacancy. So for example, suppose you have a 20-unit apartment building that is 100% occupied. It has a 10% cap rate, which <laughs> I guess isn't really seen right now, but then the rents are $35 uh, you know, below market rate for each unit. So this means you're missing out on 
$8,400 in actual annual cash flow and an extra $84,000 in uh, sales price. It's silly to leave money on the table like that. Uh, you know, the second part of increasing the sales price is to reduce expenses. So some of these you'll have more control of than others. So when Ken prepares a property for sale, he likes to run things leanly by reducing staff, cutting back on landscaping visits, minimizing advertising, and raising his insurance deductible. This way, there is a lower insurance payment. Now, keep your property manager and real estate broker in the loop to help you with the sale. Before the sale, you should decide whether you prefer to pay the capital gains tax or if you want to do a 1031 tax exchange. Uh, you know, the, 10, uh, the tax code for 1031 allows you to defer capital gains taxes essentially indefinitely if you follow all the various rules for it within a specific timeline. All right. So in conclusion, uh, this book from Ken McElroy, it's another great book from the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. So, you know, therefore, I think you can feel confident that, that it has a, a quality information without er overburdening you with trivial details. Uh, Ken prefers to invest in apartment buildings instead of other types of real estate because for him, cash flow is king because of the financial freedom it gives him. So as you'll see in uh, like uh, other parts of real estate, there are, are many ways to invest successfully in real estate. And the lessons in Ken's book really ring true for all approaches to real estate investment. So again, that book is called The ABCs of Real Estate Investing by Ken McElroy. I can't highly recommend it enough. And uh, so I'll see you again on Thursday. And until then, happy investing. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.